Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. A little later than is good for us, here comes episode 129, with Graham McMillan and I returning from an inadvertently long hiatus to regale you with nerd speak, geek slang, and goofball argot as we catch up on the mighty world of comics and comics news. Topics discussed today include the upcoming San Diego Comic-Con, Marvel Man, The Boys, the work of Nick Spencer, Spreadsheet Lit, our inevitable weekly 2000 AD discussion, DC walks and talks like this, while Marvel walks and talks like this, Bandette, The Private Eye, JLA Tower of Babel, The Superior Foes of Spider-Man, and of course, much, 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 much more. Oh, I almost forgot. And Jim Steranko on Twitter. Oh my god, that's so much more. Show notes are available for this episode over at savagecritic.com, and we always welcome your questions and comments at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Graham McMillan! Technology works, and now I'm going to hide your your terrible face. Oh, man, I tell you, looking at the little thumb-sized postage stamp of myself is appalling. I look like Grumpy Cat, basically, as far as I can tell. You look like one of those. Have you seen Cat Beard? Where people hold. Have you seen them? No. <laughs> where people it, hold up cats as like their facial hair or something? Yes, yes. Because they hold like sort of upturned the cat's fa- face so you see the cat's mouth where their mouth should be. Uh, that's what you look like. You look like Cat Beard. Yeah. Also, Cat Beard sounds like a television show for like a kid's TV show. It does, doesn't it? So, yeah. yeah. It's Cat Beard. Meow. <laughs> I like the theme song and the little addition there at the end. So, mm. okay, so take two. Graham McMillan, welcome back. Jeff Lester, welcome back to you after our surprise two-week break because you and I both forgot that July 4th was a Thursday. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. I mean, you kind of, you know, you're sort of a repatriated. It makes sense that it would throw you, but in theory, I, I know about the 4th of July all my life and I was not paying but, any attention. But so. here's the thing. While, yes, I am repatriated and I haven't known about it all of my life, I also was, that week, no joke, working for Thursday. Oh, man. It was one of those weeks where like every you're like, I'm killing myself today so that on Thursday I don't have to do anything. Right. Like Monday, I'm killing myself today, Tuesday. I'm just... <laughs> dying today but it doesn't matter because i'm like just today and tomorrow and then i'm off for four days and then wednesday really was i like i don't care if i have to drag my bloody carcass across the line like i'm working for thursday and so when you sent an email and you're like hey so it turns out this thursday is july 4th i had the simultaneous moment of why did i not know that oh of course it is See, this is going to be the great sad fact about you and I is we will do 200 episodes or 2,000 episodes or 2 million episodes and after not doing it for three weeks when we finally retire, like three weeks later we'll be like, we did a podcast? You know, like that's just going to be... It really will be. It'll be like, yeah, how did did that even work? Like we talked to each other for a couple of years? (laughs) Exactly. I don't understand. We weren't even in the same city most of the time. How did that work? 
Yeah. yeah well, let's face it. When we've done the podcast and we have been in the same city, it's been weird. It has been, isn't it? It's a little strange. I don't, I don't understand why it's, it's quite as weird as it is. Because once you take out that element, I don't know. That one time, that one time we recorded, I guess, up in Portland, I, it wasn't that strange. The only thing is, is you kept gesturing and I kept holding. You know, we kept yeah, showing each why, other books. That's why you it know? Was, yeah, that's yeah. why it was weird. It was yeah. like because it works as a podcast now because we can't see each other. Do you know what I mean? Right. So no. we can't we can't gesture or we can't, you know, hold things up, although we did that last time, which is still... I, I kind of feel guilty about that, to be honest. I don't. So I mean, I we, want, we posted... I posted more pictures and we actually got a good response. I, part of me is half thinking that we should do something like that more, except I just can't bring myself to. <laughs> this week it's going to be like, uh... We should, but let's not... Hey, your week's going to be, uh, Jeff... A week from now, one of us is going to probably be in Hall H of San Diego Comic Con. <laughs> oh yeah, man! I have to say because I was talking to Lauren Davis uh, just today because she's also getting ready and she's she seems generally excited about San Diego, um, which I'm just like, really? How? And you know, but I I did. I'm like now that I've been away from it for a couple of years, I'm sort of faintly nostalgic. You know? Oh, I I totally was until like the schedule came out. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm God. really not joking. I was yeah. like, this will, you know, this will be fun. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've not been for a few years. This will be great. I'll, you know, I'll be so used to it. Blah blah blah. And then the schedule came out, and I spent like half an hour reading the first schedule for Thursday, and I just uh, this this is the quiet day. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> what have I let myself in for? Why why did I say I'd do this again? Oh my God! Well, since we're speaking on the record uh and what's great is i will you know if everything comes together and this goes up this will go up before comic-con um yeah, this, go, this should go up a couple of days before comic-con exactly do you why don't you uh tell me and uh fellow whatnots uh what 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 we're what we're daring to try and do yeah what are you interested in what are you hoping for what do you what are you trying to cover that sort of thing Oh, God. Okay, so I can tell you right now that the two things I'm really excited about from Comic-Con are mm. not actually comic things, <laughs> which says a lot about Comic-Con. Yeah. Uh, the two, two things I'm really excited about are the Thrilling Adventure Hour are doing two performances there, and they've got a panel, and that is... Thrilling Adventure Hour podcast is, like, the thing I've loved possibly the most in the last couple of years. I'm really excited to see that live. Oh, wow. Uh, and I am, you know, touch wood, talking to them for Wired, which I am terrified about mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to completely lose my shit and be like I love you guys you're so funny and talented and handsome can <laughs> I touch you like I really am I'm just going to lose my shit right um, and the other thing I'm really excited about is The World's End the Edgar Wright Simon Pegg uh, movie mm-hmm. is, oh, they've, got a, they've got a panel there and again I think I'm going to be interviewing them for Wired and so I'm really excited about that but I'm excited in this, in like a really sneaky way because the last time Edgar Wright had a movie at Comic-Con, he actually showed the movie and he didn't tell anyone. Exactly, exactly. And I'm really hoping that they do the same for The World's End because that has actually premiered. That is premiering in Britain earlier on this week. Oh, did it? Oh, okay. What, um, what are the reviews but, for that? Are they, are they good? Do you know? They seem to be positive, but I, uh, I don't know if it's positive in the we like Edgar Wright anyway sense mm. or whether it's actually good, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, 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 I totally do. It's funny because I actually would think, how do I put this? Like, uh, I would be stunned if Edgar Wright would do any of the same things that he did for Scott Pilgrim oh, for at Scott San Pilgrim, Diego. Just yeah. Because of what happened with Scott Pilgrim? Exactly. 
yeah, it's it's very it's very possible. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But those are the two things I'm really excited about. On a on a comics tip, um, let's see. I I'm really excited about all the digital comics panels, of which it seems like there's maybe seven million. I believe it. Yeah, I totally. Uh, I I feel, I feel that there are an incredible number of digital comics panels, and most of them are how to get into digital comics, <laughs> like Comicsology, uh, Thrillbent, and I think Monkey Brain have all got like. How to do our style of digital comics panels? Monkey mm-hmm. Brain might not. Monkey Brain might just have a, a sort of straight up Monkey Brain panel, right? Uh, but Thrillbent definitely has a how to make a Thrillbent comic, right? And Comicsology definitely has a how to make a Comicsology comic. Um, there's uh, there's a great one that I really want to see called Digital versus Print, mm-hmm. which is Mark Wade uh, from Thrillbent, David Steinberger from Comicsology, and Joe Fields, the the retailer, oh, wow. talking about how the basically how the markets interact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I think will be really interesting. Yeah, uh, I know because I am because I because I'm a professional, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> I know Thrillbent's announcement for the con ahead of time, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how that goes out. I guess mm. um, because it's something not a million miles away from things that have already happened, and yet it's something that I think is really good for Thrillbent and and really good for comics and digital comics. Interesting. To be sort of weirdly like teasy. You'll find out in like two days, listeners. Trust me. <laughs> um, oh, I just realized like that was super assholey because normally I say things like this and the the news comes out between us recording and it going live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's okay. It's, people, it's not. Uh, you know, people are somewhat used to. We've teased a few things here. I mean, usually it's like things like, "Will Jeff find his pants?" or "Will he ever finish reading?" You know that one comic which i finally did and i'm looking forward to talking about today so oh I, i'm looking forward to that you know that you finally finished a comic <laughs> yes me too uh, let me tell uh, you let's see. i i got i also know the marvel news mm-hmm. i don't know the dc news yet but mm-hmm. um i you know there there will be some shenanigans happening there that you know will be uh, it, again it's mostly the fallout from the announcements more than the announcements I find myself interested in well because in uh, theory you already know the announcements right yeah but but it's a it's as uh, I guess what I'm saying is it's like it's not that I see an announcement and I'm like oh I can't wait for that mm-hmm. as much as I'm like I can't wait to see how other people are going to react to oh that I news. see as opposed you know to I mean? the like, product itself you're as, waiting as, for yeah, the reaction the to the announcement comic. of yes. the product got yes. it got it I yes. see um, and I think part of that is that I'm not really a massive Marvel fan mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that was definitely my thought looking through the Marvel announcements. Part of me was, wow, I'm sure that I would love this if I was really into Marvel. Could be. I'll be curious to see what it is um, at at the risk of steering us off course a little bit. I was really amused at the Share Your Universe announcement from Marvel, which the, seemed... The, the... The like weirdly weightless has nothing to it. Share your universe announcement. Yes, yes, as in like you know, and it really was. They even had things like, "Here's the full scoop on the Share Your Universe," and I click through, and it literally is them saying like, "And it's like what?" <laughs> that was the thing. Like, I so I had to report. I had to write or posted that for Hollywood Reporter. Oh man, good and luck I, on that. I had no idea what it was. Yeah, I'm not joking. I'm asking people. I'm like, okay, what does this actually seem to you? 
Yeah. And they're like, I I don't know. Like they're they're gonna give free comics away, I guess. And I was like, I think that's what it is. Seriously, that's <laughs> how they pitched Spidey. it right there. Yeah, exactly. It was like, hey, good news, you're getting. And I'm just like, I don't even understand, because they had like, here's a here's like an all ages sampler, and we've got digital comics that you can get on the Comicsology app. And I'm like. Uh, unless someone's breaking out a sharing technology, it's not like I can exactly leave my iPad no, for that, a week with my three-year-old niece. You know, that's just it. Like the, the share universe uh, branding is completely deceptive. Yeah, because what it really is is introduce our brand to someone else. Yeah, which you know, it's it's a totally different thing. Right. Um, I think what's uh, that? What's really interesting about this is actually something that came about for another thing Marvel's doing the next day that I found out the next day mm-hmm. which is so Share Universe is very much we want you to be involved in the Marvel brand we want you to introduce other people to the Marvel brand we want you to feel as if you have some ownership in the Marvel brand hence right. Share Your Universe right right mm-hmm. so yesterday for a story that went live this morning I was talking to John Cirilli at Marvel and Blair Butler about Earth's Might- Mightiest Show which is their uh they're calling it Marvel Lifestyle Show. It's it's essentially like a, a a TV show that they're doing on the web about geek culture, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I I'm going to be honest. I went into this fairly cynical because again I was like, wow, this is basically just growing the Marvel brand, right? And they're like, yeah, so the Marvel brand isn't actually going to appear anywhere on the show. They've removed the Marvel brand from the show. Hmm. It was announced as Marvel's Earth's Mightiest Show. It's going to be released as Earth's Mightiest Show. No Marvel brand. No Marvel logo. Huh. Um. And they uh, really said, we're going to be talking about our competitors. <laughs> we're, hmm. He was like, if if the example he gave was, you know, right now it would be silly to talk about Marvel thing because everyone's talking about Pacific Rim. Right. He's like, that's what the story is. The story is Pacific Rim and the story is Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, that makes sense. Uh, and he said, when I was talking to him, you know, one of the big fights that we had originally was taking the Marvel logo off it, mm-hmm. was taking the Marvel branding off it. Mm-hmm. But for him and for the producers of the show, um, what was really important was that what they were doing was bigger than Marvel. Mm-hmm. They were like, we were looking at this, we're contributing to the growth of the geek lifestyle in the mainstream, as opposed to it being a Marvel thing, which I thought was really interesting coming after Sherry Universe, which is, we want kids to read comics as long as they're Marvel comics. Right, right, exactly. Well, <clears throat> I don't know. I, if you say so, I mean, part of me is kind of like, huh. Like, to me, it's just kind of very <laughs> stealthy. I mean, I don't think that they're going to be like, coming up next, DC's Trinity War and cases of chlamydia that have spread near DC readers. You know, like, I'm sure they're not oh going God, to do anything like that. that. It would be that. great if it was just, like, completely I mean, subtle. DC's Trinity War is at least with anthrax. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. Which giant Marvel monster should he tackle? You know, it's like, and I, you know, I'm sure they won't do that. It just seems kind of... Um, I, I'm really curious to see what the reality of the show is. Right, right. But I, I definitely came away much more of a believer than I went in. I went right. in incredibly cynical. And after talking to them, I came away that at least the people I was talking to were sincere in their efforts. Well, see, that's it. I do think that, that Blair Butler you know, at least from the little that I track her, has a significant love of, of comic culture that is is very is varied, 
you know, is oh, I ha- oh, I have to tell you, Blair Butler. I again, I went in not a cynic like, but like she wasn't really on my radar. Mm-hmm. After that call, I came kind of came away being like, I want to be her friend. She's just <laughs> awesome. She's awesome and she's funny and she's self-depreciating and she's like, I like, holy crap, is she a geek? Yeah, yeah. She's like, yeah. So I grew up reading Werewolf by Night. <laughs> See, I didn't know that fact about her. Now I want to be her friend. I'm exactly like, right. You're like that's that's the comic you name drop. Werewolf by Night. Yeah. She's like I was a member of WAM. Like, do you even remember WAM? Wild Agents of Marvel, the no. Marvel Fan Club from the '90s. No, no, no. So, do you think <laughs> she grew up like. reading the '90s Werewolf by Night, like the Midnight Rider yeah, stuff? She, uh, it's got to be because she's. Like she's definitely younger than me. I was about to say I was kind of like maybe she inherited somebody's Although, like. Actually, that's not true. She probably read the old stuff because she was talking about quarterbins. She was talking about the the just picking up things out of the quarterbins. Wow. Well, we'll see. I mean, God knows that's that's where most of the Midnight Suns books also ended up. So it could go either way, really, right? You know, we, we, we'll see. But I, uh, I insist no, that I, you grill her about this. This would be great. Like it's like my friend Jeff is calling her back. Yeah, is, Blair. Okay. Like, there's just I, a few I know, quick I know questions. I don't this morning, but listen. Someone yeah. asked me. I have to find out. She's going to be at Comic Con. I, I should try and find her at Comic Con and be like, "Hey, you were great. By the way, I have to find out what what werewolf fight night you were reading. Yeah, which one? Like, here's a what, quick six questions. Yeah, exactly. It's like here's a six six question quiz that you have to pass to satisfy appease my friend Jeff, you know. Although I, I it's been so long since I've read Werewolf by Night, I'm not sure that I I only know two of the questions that I would ask. I I can't come up with the other four. That's great. Here are six questions. Only joking. <laughs> the last the last four are. What's the weather like? Are you having a good show? Do you want some coffee? Like what? If it's good enough for university entrance exams, Graham, damn it. I was going to have the last two be essays. Uh, you know, maybe a draw your own adventure. Like, okay, oh I've God, come up with wet. three. Are you still there? What's that? Hello? Jeff? Oh, you're back. You completely went. That was great. The, the line went, as you said, I was going to have the last one be... So, yes. Blair Butler, Werewolf by Night. I can only come up with three questions now. I don't oh, know. Give give me time. By the end by the end of this, um, like, like, but Jeff, as as I was saying on the the bit we aren't we didn't record. Yes, uh, and I should probably tell the listeners now, um, because of the way that you and I record now. Yes, I think that you can actually call me when I'm at San Diego. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we could do like probably a much shortened version of a podcast. Right, but I don't think we have to take next week off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think we should do a half-hour Graham at San Diego cast, which would yeah, be Yeah, because awesome. it's Thursday. I won't be too insane, but mm-hmm. the insanity will definitely be setting in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, see, that's it. What I think we should do is figure out a way that you, you should just... You should call me 10 minutes on each day of San Diego so I can actually see... We can hear oh how... Oh, my God. Wouldn't, like, that, wouldn't that be hilarious? Like, if I call you at the, like, the morning of every day <laughs> and I just, I just, like, leave a message and I'm like day one kind of excited the weather's really nice everyone seems really upbeat and it gets to like day five and I'm like day five kill me now I have not slept for two days <laughs> haven't slept for two days can't remember the last thing that I ate don't know where I'm going have gone but, to but you know but people are talking about Miracle Man so I'm you know maybe something's happening maybe I should get to the convention hall oh uh, Jesus do you I don't really think that that's a thing do you or I don't know. Do you have an opinion one way or the other about the like, hey, Miracle Man slash Marvel Man? It's bound to happen. Woo. 
Uh, I'm sure it's bound to happen at some point. I just don't think that it's especially I mean, going to be now, though. I mean, hmm. uh, I I I don't know. I mean, I, I, part of me is not only to is it going to be now, but will people really care? Like, as, at this point, has the excitement and goodwill for Marvel Man not kind of been lost by the fact that it was announced four years ago as coming soon? Right, right, yeah. Uh, all I know is I wish that... <laughs> uh, and th- why not? Why not have Jeff talk about me despite whatever else we're actually ostensibly talking about? Having rounded up all of my comics and gotten them all sorted and now ready to begin the process of cataloging them so that I can do the variety of things I'm going to do, uh, which will mostly be trying to sell them. I sure wish I'd... Like, I'm shocked by how little Miracle Man goes for now on eBay. Like, it really Really? is. Like, yeah, I kind of figured... I just think everybody's probably torn to it. Now, anyone who's wanted to read it has read it by now or have given up. Now, maybe that's just the opposite. Maybe people will actually um, jump on it, you know, if there's any announcement. Maybe... Yeah, maybe it's gone. Maybe the eBay price has gone down because people are just expecting a reasonably priced collection any moment soon. Well, and I think that's it. So there's part of me that's like, uh, I should have, uh. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, it, you know, Lord oh, knows no, if say, we go by eBay. It's, yes. It's a Marvel collection, so it won't be reasonably priced. That oh much God. is certain. Yeah, yeah. I actually thought Rich's little speculative uh, um, uh article about about that was quite fascinating. I have to say, can I can I fess up to you and the listeners? Um Yes, you definitely can. I sent my very first anonymous tip to Rich Johnston. Um which if you follow Bleeding Cool Graham, you know which one it is. Oh yeah, I I, I was actually waiting for it before yes. you, before it came up. I was kind of like, is he not running that? Is he not running that? What the hell? <laughs> he he ran it within um maybe, I don't know, like four hours of me actually emailing him. I actually sat on it another couple of days. Oh, I thought you I thought you would have sent it. Yeah. You told me about it. No, I had I had this attack of remorse. And uh, when, when we get off mic, I'll kind of tell you who and what. Although I, part of me is like, I don't think it really matters at this point that I'm anonymous because it wasn't really a, a ball-breaking tip. Okay, listeners, you're getting the scoop. Uh, the, nobody oh, else Jeff knows comes the ground. Great, yeah, exactly. I noticed. Uh, I don't know. It was like a week ago or whatever it was. Maybe two weeks back. Um, that because I follow David Morell, who, as many people know, created uh the John Rambo and wrote the novel First Blood. If you don't know, if you haven't read his other work, Morell is an awesome thriller writer. He's just really good, and I've read a handful of his stuff, and I always liked him. And he's also, I think, I want to say he's like the maybe the president of the thrillers writer, thriller writers of America, or something like that. So, I've been following his Twitter, but as things so often horribly happen to me, uh, I had not, I hadn't seen a post from him in a million years, just because I wasn't. I haven't been on Twitter that much, really. And uh, so I saw a post from him, figured I would jump and kind of read, like, the previous six or seven posts and see what had happened. And there was a post from him all the way back on, I want to say this was, like, June 21st, and I came across it on the 26th or 27th or something, saying that he his, his uh, Spider-Man story was coming out in October as a un, for under the new title Peter Parker Spider-Man a new ongoing and I was like 
well, holy shit, what's up with that? So I actually emailed Graham, because I, I don't know about solicitations, the fact that it was an October book that he was mentioning, and I thought we had just gotten through the September cycle. I was like, is this news? And Graham's like, yeah, too bad I can't, I'm not on blog ad anymore. So I was going to send it to Rich, and then I was like, you know, I really, I like David Morrell. I What if this gets him in trouble? Like, you know, like, he probably wants some good cash, and, you know, it was just one of those things where I was kind of like, I don't, you know, I just kind of got the sense, like, from reading his other tweets, I don't even think that he knows about the whole Peter Parker is dead concept. So I was like, uh... So I emailed him, and so what happened was I did not contact Rich, and then I, because I followed David Morrell, and David Morrell, again, being an older person on Twitter, follows pretty much everybody who follows him, kind of, because he hasn't Aww. caught on. I know, isn't that sort of sweet, but also sad, that sort really of? That really is. Yeah. It's, it's like, hooray, I kind of feel bad for him, but hooray. <laughs> Well, I follow a lot of people, but I, I, but you know, but I'm well aware. Like, so he's got a ton of people. So anyway, because we follow each other, I can now direct message the man. So I sent him like I tried to keep it down to a decent length, but it was like four or five direct message tweets, and I was like, "Hey, I just wanted to let you know I was reading your old tweets. I saw this one about Peter Parker Spider Man." I think you should maybe consider pulling that tweet and checking with your Marvel editorial editors to see if it's okay to have that posted because currently Peter Parker's dead and it may or may not be a spoiler that people can jump on. Right? I figure this is kind of a cool thing. That's that's a really nice thing to do. Yeah, that's what I thought too. So four or five days go by and I do not hear from him at all. Like, at all at all. And... And then, this is great. Somehow the whole story is about me tweet-stalking David Morrell. So, and then I noticed that he has, also has not deleted the tweet. So I figure either, a, I know, I'm like, but he's tweeted since, you know what I mean? So it's that classic, like, he, unless he really doesn't know how direct messages work, he has seen my tweet, so I guess it's so okay, okay with him, right? So, yeah. so then I, so then I, so that's why the delay. Then I send my very first anonymous tip to Rich. Um, you just outed yourself. But yeah, but you know what? Because I, I tell you, because it's probably going to be the last anonymous tip, because I sort of figured when you send an anonymous tip to Rich Johnson, I sort of figure you will at least get some sort of... Um, Acknowledgement? Yeah. He did not... But you had nothing. Yeah, nothing from either of those guys. Like, not only did he not say, like, with blah, 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 in the column, which is fine, but he didn't send me an email going like, hey, thanks, I'll run this. You know? And I kind of had that weird moment of like, why did I just pay for your dinner? You know what I mean? Like, it was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, that I see. Well, then never mind then, you know? So so here comes, like, Jeff now holds a grudge for um, uh, three years against both David Morrell and Rich Johnston, showing what a well-rounded well, character I am. If you're holding a grudge against Rich Johnston, you will not be alone. Oh, that's true. That is definitely true. In fact, now I'm wondering about the number of people who, like, hate Rich, and it's just because he never acknowledged them. Like, you know, the fact that Mark Wade like, just hates him and wants to put a pickaxe through his brain, it's all because Rich, like, totally, like, spoiled half of what was going on behind the scenes with Paul Levitz, and nobody, like, Rich was like, uh, uh oh, did I not send you that email? I, I, dude, I got kids, you know, so, um... So that's my whole sordid story. <laughs> to well, sum I, up, Jeff I, is a media whore to, and didn't even get paid. So Well, I'm, I'm going to uh, do a couple of follow-ups to that, because there might be things you don't know. 
One, do you know that uh, Marvel has since announced Peter Parker Spider-Man as a weekly miniseries? I did. I did uh, in a follow-up via Rich. So, yeah, it's a weekly miniseries. And and number two, have you seen the artwork uh, teasing Inhumanity, the fourth Marvel event of 2013? That's fourth, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, It features the Peter Parker Spider-Man costume. Wow. So I think Peter Parker is coming back in October. (laughs) (laughs) That's the truth. He's probably coming, like, I think he's coming back for the end of the year. Right. Yeah. Probably, probably. So is Inhumanity, is that supposed to be the Matt Fraction and Humans event thing? Or no, no, that... well, it, it is, but it's leading into a new series called Inhuman by Matt Fraction and Joe Madura. Oh, Joe, wait, Joe Madura, the guy who managed to get through three issues of... Yeah, yeah, the guy who managed to get through three issues of uh, Avenging Spider-Man, and then I think, what, four of uh, Savage Wolverine? Yeah, him. Well, <coughs> hmm. Well, that'll be interesting. I guess. I guess. I guess they're lucky that the you know you're not really around on comics related blogs to ask questions like how long before this misses an issue or is this really even just a you know why not just say call them launch artists or something? Um, I don't know. You could do that for me. Um... <laughs> I could. Oh, I, no, no. I mean, the first thing you think when you see Joe Madura attached to a, a comic these days is, so he'll be gone within three issues, right? Right. Exactly. I, like, if, if that. Well, the thing. Like, is... I think. I think Steve McNiven has now set the record by needing a fill-in artist on issue two of Guardians of the Galaxy. Wow. Really? Yeah. Sarah Pacelli came on with issue two, Ooh. which is, of course, issue three because there was a zero issue. Oh. So maybe technically you could say that he made it to issue three? He made it to issue three, yeah. <laughs> he made three issues in. Thanks to the miracle of Marvel issue numbering, he actually uh, did six issues, but it only counts as half an issue. So um, because of the negative numbering, ca- actually cancels out the positive numbering. Yeah, it's... it's uh... <laughs> Although, talking about Marvel uh, changes, have you seen that uh, Neil Gaiman is no longer the co-writer of Guardians of the Galaxy? He's now just a consultant? Wow. This just in Marvel forced to come clean. <laughs> Marvel milked all the PR they could, then have to be honest. Oh, man. Well, or maybe it just didn't come through for old Neil Gaiman. I mean, I, it seemed kind uh, of really? unlikely that he was going to... Really? No, I mean, no, no. Because let's face it, we all imagined that he and Brian Michael Bendis were swapping phone calls and emails all the time about how they were so excited to work together. Oh, I'm sure. No, this is exactly the same as what Gaiman did with Paul Cornell in Action Comics. Uh, yeah, although wasn't that wasn't that like a little more legit? Oh, oh I see what you're saying. They, they, I'm like, I don't recall DC, but yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of they no, ran they, stuff they, they, by they, him, and he said, yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, exactly. He's officially right. listed as a consultant in that issue. Right. Because they run stuff by him. It's exactly the same thing. Right. Well, as I recall, they, they of course, it got pitched very differently, that Action Comics thing in that regard, as I recall. Right. Pitched Could... as in when they advertised it. They advertised it as like, death is back. Neil Gaiman's death is back. But I don't think they actually ever said he's co-writing. No, exactly. They, In fact, I think they said something along the lines of like, don't worry, we've consulted with him. So, I mean, it's kind of great that Marvel's like, yeah, guess who's writing Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> <laughs> like if I was vertical right now, I'd be like, "Guess who's actually writing Sandman?" 
like really genuinely he's not a consultant he's actually writing see that's it dc still is not bitchy enough to do the not a consultant you know i have yeah dc is not bitchy enough at all for my liking (laughs) (laughs) here's the thing dc has an official policy to not basically not keep stories alive right Right, so if there's bad press that they could answer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then they don't. Like, even if they legitimately are like, you know, that's not what actually happened. <laughs> like, they they will not answer. Right. The thing that springs to mind is the the outhousers thing. Oh yes. We're in the, the we're in the DC version of reality and the outhouser version of reality are very fucking far apart. Right. Right. Exactly. But DC didn't really ever end up saying anything but, on the record about yeah, it. Yeah, because because they, because they don't. Right. Because they're like, yeah, we we don't we we just don't respond to that sort of thing because uh, that'll keep the story alive. And it's one of those, I don't know, because your story's going to stay alive anyway, and the story's going to be you guys are dicks. <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't know. I'm I'm sort of like, is anybody still bringing up the outhousers? You know, outhousers. Did I say that? I meant outhousers. <laughs> <laughs> So bad. Uh, the, out, the outhousers are still bringing up the outhousers. Well, of course, but that's but that's that's in theory what they would do and should do. So oh, but when I want to get super frustrated with the comics internet, I go and look at the outhousers. Uh, to make you more frustrated, or is actually is yeah a... yeah because okay. because my favorite thing is they're like to criticize DC for anything. Like DC could do a uh, press release going, "We have cured cancer," and they'd be like, "Well, if you cure cancer, why don't you bring Stephanie Brown back?" <laughs> Uh, whereas, like, they will just run Marvel press releases. Oh yeah, that's not cool. That's that. You know, and it's not, like, yeah. dude, that's insane. Yeah. But then, what were you going to say, Jeff? Oh, I was actually going to say, uh, as as whatnots know, and as, in fact, as a few uh, posted on our little like, hey, we're not podcast, you know, no podcast this week, sort of thing. Some people were like, well, I hope you guys talk about uh, the Alice Cott DC debacle, and I was like. Um, I, I, I'm like, I'm game, but I'm not necessarily sure if, if I have like a fresh new take on it per se. I mean, do you, do you, did it strike you as, I mean, I think it's sort of sad and I suppose we can talk about how amazing it is that a dude who got his book favorably reviewed by the AV club, his first issue, um, you know, and the AV Club being, I would have to say, one of the larger outlets for comic reviews, although I could be wrong. I, I assume it has a much wider exposure than, than most of the comics. Bloggernet, to have him out in, what, three issues, four issues? Is... See, I, I'd love to say I was surprised. Ah, <laughs> yeah, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, are you like, are you really surprised? I'm really sad. I, I would have liked to have thought that... Um that DC would go, oh look, this one's a hit, maybe we should leave it alone. Right, right. Um, or, or at least it's well-received, let's see what happens. Because as I recall, it's not really like the... the... That's true, I, I meant critical hit. I yeah, critical hit, it, yeah. Like, people people are actually sitting up and taking notice and say, oh, this is this is really interesting, maybe we should read. Right. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, if anything, I'm disappointed by seeing them try to spin it as this is always the plan. When I saw that that statement from Tadeo, I really was like, "You're not fooling anyone with mm-hmm. that anymore." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
Huh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that he, that Didio had had uh, um, addressed it on record. It was on. I want to say it was like Facebook or something. It's not like an official record, mm-hmm. but um, Facebook or Twitter or something. He essentially said it was always the plan that Matt Kent would take over after F- uh, Forever Evil came out. You know that he was Alice was on, always only ever on for you know four issues or however many issues he ended up doing. Wow. With, you know. I don't want to just go bullshit, but come on. Yeah, that seems super, super unlikely, um, especially considering the tone with which I think Alice announced that he was on the book. But eh, you know, I, I yeah, it's not true, Jeff. Like, let's mm-hmm. just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. It was not the plan to bring him on for four issues and then replace him with uh, Mike. Yeah, it was not. Or, or if it was, I don't think every that was the plan for everyone. Right, exactly. Like, Not everybody most, was... the most charitable yeah. reading of what Dan Didio said that I can give him. Yeah, If exactly. that was the plan, you should have told everyone involved. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, in talking about it with uh, a fellow comic book reading friend, um, who, you know, is general, you know, seems to bemoan generally DC's... Uh, um, reoccurring uh, desire to shoot itself in the foot as much as possible. He actually mentioned, uh, I thought, a sort of far more insidious concept, uh, which is is that he thinks that DC is trying to actually return to some sort of Silver Age, um, the Silver Age of DC, where essentially the creatives didn't matter and it was all editorial. And that essentially... that it was super important not to let anyone um, develop too much of a name. And I'm not sure if I really believe that per se, just because of the amount of mm, push that Matt Kent is getting or Jeff Lemire has gotten. I believe it halfway. Interesting. Um, There was actually a public statement at some point, and we're talking some time ago now, Mm -hmm. like maybe five years, but there's definitely a public statement from someone at DC along the lines of the editors are the stars. Oh, yeah. No, I do think they believe that. I do think they believe um, that, yeah. Which is, you know, ironic when DC also seems to have a policy of not letting editorials speak publicly, for want of a better way of putting it. Like, if you think about Marvel... Well, no, if you think about Marvel, mm-hmm. you see Steve Wacker talking everywhere. You see uh, Ginny Schaefer talking everywhere. You mm-hmm. see Nick Lowe talking everywhere. You see Tom Brevoort talking everywhere. Yeah. Like, can you really name four DC editors? I can't, or the ones that I can are, like, the dudes that have been there forever, like, what? Yeah, that's what I mean, like, yeah. uh, you know, you're like, okay, there's Brian Cunningham, uh, there's Matt Adelson, mm-hmm. uh, there's Eddie Braganza, of course. Right, there's Eddie Braganza, I was gonna say Mike Mars, is that right? Martz, Martz? Yeah, yeah, Mike Martz might still, yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a struggle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, so it's, it's, it's this weird, like, you know, editorial's the star, but but because of that, they get celebrity treatment and you're not, you know, stay behind the curtain. Editorial. Exactly. It's, it's, it, they're stars, but from a, from a silent era. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're, they're stars, like, you know, the animals are stars in a zoo. <laughs> We um, keep them chained up. They get nature. fed every day, and uh, <laughs> we expect them to devour intruders. And occasionally, occasionally they'll throw their shit at you. Everything's fine. <laughs> um, but you know, you can't you can't say that they're 
not trying to push creators because they are. I mean, holy shit, Scott Snyder. Mm-hmm. Like, if they were really trying to not push creators and punish creators, right? Scott Snyder would would not still be at DC. Oh, of course. Yeah, I think so too. I you know, so too. it's same with Jeff Lemire. I think the problem is DC doesn't know how to grow creators. Well, I, I think definitely it seems like uh, if they could stop strangling them in the crib, that seems like a pretty good first start, you know. But but I, I do nice. feel like there's nice some to... element X back there. You know what I mean? Like it is some sort of like whatever whatever it is. <laughs> you know, whether it's that thing of like, okay, like Matt Kent, um, you're going to be getting an envelope from us in like 20 minutes, and they're like, is, is it a comp? Well, it's not really a comp. You'll you'll see. And then you know you, the messenger signed for the package. Matt Kin opens it up, and it's the name of the person he has to strangle with his bare hands. And like, if you don't do it, and if you do do it, okay, well you're an up and coming star. So yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, Ray Fox, do you want to write Pandora? Well, in that case. Yeah. <laughs> here's the here's the seven shitty things you have to do this morning. <laughs> that, that would be great. Yeah, it would be better in sort of a Twilight Zone-ish kind of way if it wasn't actually killing somebody, but just like those weird... Isn't there a story like that where you're supposed to go and do a number of things? Like, you know, you just go and you like give this one nozzle a half turn and then you walk away. And yeah, exactly. It's... it's it's small things. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. what you have to do today is you have to make a troll account and send something nasty to Joe Casada's Twitter. <laughs> exactly. Just just to knock him off. And then they're like, because just like uh, the Adjustment Bureau, we've got a map and we can see that him being knocked off on Twitter will mean that he won't end up having the time to draw that Angela page. Oh, Jesus that Christ. That blades. Right. But, you know, that, that's what it's all about. Yeah, exactly. Which means that he's just going to have to Photoshop a big Muppet head into the center of the two-page spread. <sighs> Wow, are you still bitter about the big muppet head? I, I, I'm just, I'm just appalled by how ab- absurdly anticlimactic that was. That really, I mean, apart from all the other things, I am Angela. Yeah, <laughs> and I will end you. Which I, you know, for whoever annoyed me, like it really was. Like you're going to end this person. You know what I mean? It just is so. I mean, apart from it being that bullshit Bendis dialogue, it's like. What shit motivation? You know what I mean? It's like from the people who brought hey, you Doctor Doom and Galactus. What's that? I'm sorry, Graham. I said it's new Marvel motivation. It's oh, it's yeah. the motivation of it's all crazy personal. Hey, you know what I read this week? No. To talk about new Marvel motivation, yes. I read the first the first two slash only collections of Nick Spencer's uh, Ultimate X Men. Hmm. Talking about, like, new Marvel motivation. Right. Jeff, that's an amazing thing, because I read 12 comics in which there is no plot development. Oh, really? I'm, I'm not joking. <laughs> there is no plot development. That's not true. There are, there's minimal plot development, but the larger plot actually goes nowhere. Man. It is amazing. It is Nick Spencer for 12 issues, clearly thinking he has more than 12 issues on the title. Right. <laughs> I like getting to issue 12 and they're like hey we just found out Brian Wood's going to be taken over and he's a much bigger name bye <laughs> and he's like but I haven't I haven't resolved anything like I have I literally haven't achieved anything in this comic and they're like that's great Brian will take care of it right like right. I, that's honestly what it reads like it's amazing there is no resolution to that comic it's all set up wow well, it's kind of funny. I'm like, huh, so it kind of has a classic Claremont feel to it, is like the is the bitchy comment what? I was going to say. I know, how could I resist? Here's the thing. 
but Claremont actually did a resolution. No, I, he because he, he Martley had these smaller stories that were building to something. Exactly. Like Spencer doesn't even have the smaller stories yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad. That's so sad. I so can you... only only imagine how frustrating Ultimate X Men was to read in single issues. Oh yeah. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. it was it was unsatisfying to read in collected editions. Right, in collected editions, I, I, you I, got for free. Yeah, yeah, I could only imagine what it was like in single issues. I, yeah. uh, although I also read um, Superior Foes of Spider Man, also written by Nick Spencer, yes. the Nick Spencer of twenty thirteen. And if nothing else, he has clearly realized that an issue is something that people pay money for. Right. Well, there, there is a it, it's a unit in and of itself. And or at at the risk of continuing to give the devil, by which I mean Steve Wacker his due, I think that Wacker has. Um, uh, I think I, I think Wacker makes that a value. You know what I mean? Like it really, definitely seems like the people that he works with. The idea is is that under his books, at least, the issue is got to have something. It's worthwhile, yeah. Yeah. If if Steve Wacker edited that comic, I'd agree. Oh, shit, really? What the fuck are they yeah. doing giving a Spider-Man book to not... What? Shit, I thought it was the Spider-Office editor. It's I didn't the, even understand the, what the, the... It's the Spider-Office, but it's not Steve Wacker. It's Tom Brennan. Oh, uh, well, punch me in the nads. Okay, well, uh, but still still, still more no, enjoyable, no, yeah. huh? Point, point still taken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, overall, it's uh, it, it was it actually reads like a different writer in many ways mm. uh, because there is the speed and uh, emphasis that that is completely lacking in the Ultimate X Men book. Well, I th- I think that is I think that's really good for Nick Spencer. He kind of needed that certainly now that now that the bloom is off the rose. I think and and has been for some time. You know, it's like. He's continuing to get work uh, for Marvel. You know, hopefully he'll be able to to build up. A, a... What What was really interesting for me is that Nick Spencer was kind of benched for a while at Marvel. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like he was gone for a while. And I and I wonder if that scared him. I wonder if he came back and he was like, "Okay, I've really clearly got to make this shit count." I I've not been reading Secret Avengers just mm-hmm. because the idea is hilariously dumb to me. Um, but I do wonder if. Secret Avengers has the same speed that uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man does. Hmm. It'd be interesting. I, I don't know. I uh, I have a... As I recall, Spencer made a, a certain uh, number of just, you know explanations slash justifications for why he was... why his work had suffered and what was going on at the time, as I recall. Wasn't there stuff involved, like sickness or really? weddings? Or... I, I, I have... Oh, I mean, I know he got married, but... Yeah, I, I seem really? to think that I, there I was some sort of, like, you know, his wedding fell right in the middle of the something. I don't know. And meanwhile, I'm still occasionally hearing good things about Morning Glories, which I... I, I actually out. really like Morning Glories. Yeah, so... Well, and so how do you think that work differs from differs from the from the worst of his Marvel work? Um, or or rather, is, is, is the Nick Spencer of 2013 different from the Morning Glories Nick Spencer that you that you like? Like, do they have yes. different virtues? Yeah, yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. And I, what, what makes Morning Glories work for me is that it is quite clearly based on... Like, it's lost. Mm-hmm. It's the, I'm going to throw all these balls up in the air, but there is going to be a resolution. Right. And because it's a creator-owned title, he'll get to do that resolution. Right. One way or another. Yeah. 
Whereas when you're doing Uncanny, uh, not Uncanny, Ultimate X-Men, right. A, you don't know that, and that's clearly what happened with him. He got mm-hmm. the book taken away from him. Mm-hmm. But also, it's, I don't think it's set up to do that sort of storytelling in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, what makes Morning Glories superior to Ultimate, Spider- uh, Ultimate X-Men for me is there, even Morning Glories is faster mm-hmm. <laughs> than, Unca- than Ultimate X-Men was. Right. Uh, Morning Glories, do, again, lacks resolution, but mm-hmm. offers enough content, offers enough new mysteries, offers enough revelations. Right. That you're like, oh, something's happening. As opposed to Ultimate X-Men, which nothing happens. Well, yes. Uh, I, I, maybe I phrase this badly. How does it? How does the the foes of uh, Superior Spider-Man differ from Morning Glories Spencer? Are they, are they the same dude, or is it? Or is there like he's learning like? There's a more compressed he's, storytelling he's learn, going yeah, on. Yeah, he's learning a more compressed story. He's learning to do these smaller stories while unfolding a bigger story. Okay. The Superior Force of Spider-Man actually has... You could read it as a single issue and think, I'm done at the end of it. Mm-hmm. There is a larger story set in motion, mm-hmm. but set in motion really... Not really subtly, but uh, really quietly, I guess. Right. To the point where it's actually really easy to ignore it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because it's more, it's more. You could read it as so. This is the setup for the series, as opposed to this is the Uber arc of the the series, right? Um, where uh, and there is resolution. You know, it starts with um, Boomerang going to jail, and it ends with him getting out of jail, mm-hmm. and you see the events that leads to that. Mm-hmm. You know, there there's a there's an ABC there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that Ultimate X Men does not have, right? Ultimate X-Men has a... through like the first six issues. Mm-hmm. And then by end of issue 12, you're like, oh, maybe he's stopped saying A now. <laughs> Next issue, B. Yeah, exactly. Ryan Wood. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. B from someone else entirely. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's... The difference is this. If you replaced Nick Spencer and Spirit for the Spider-Man next issue... Mm-hmm you would not feel that Nick Spencer's time in the series had been wasted. Right. Because of the way that Nick Spencer paced Ultimate X-Men, mm-hmm. it, those first 12 issues are totally wasted. He, mm. do, he does nothing with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's, he's learned how to be right shorter, for want of a better way of putting it. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Which is, which is, uh, which is a virtue, I have to say. Um, I think I think that I tend to fall more. I have a lot more patience, I think, for overly compressed storytelling than the than less compressed storytelling at this point. And of course, admittedly, that's how I was raised. But I mean, you know, I can read stuff where there's ridiculous amounts of text and shorthanding and people telling not not just telling information that the other person already knows, but telling information that they themselves already know out loud as a way of you know recapping. And I'm just like, I just. I just see through all of it. It just does not bother me much. In fact, in some in some cases, I wonder if why part of the allure of 2000 AD for me is watching the balance that is struck. You know, because they they have to move like son of a bitches, considering they only get five or six pages. But they also have to figure out ways to kind of bring you back up to speed at least a little bit. You know, yeah. From from Prague to Prague, and so there's it's kind of. Uh, it's inter- It's interesting to me when to see the various ways in which they do that. 
Um, I, th- I think 2008 is, a fascin- is fascinating for any comics formalist. Oh, yeah. Anyone who's genuinely interested in, like, the structure of comics. Mm-hmm. If you've not spent a considerable amount of time with 2008, you really should. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely feel the, the, the lack of it for on, on my part. Um, which is interesting because it took a long time. But that being said, I don't. It, it, and it may it may be entirely different because, of course, who would have started reading it otherwise? But there's you kind of have to go balls in with 2000 AD. Like for me, it really was a because I'd even pick up the sampler issues, and the sampler issues in and of themselves didn't really do much. It wasn't until it was like, okay, I'm going to start reading this. And I'm going to be getting, you know, every issue for the next three months or something like that. Yeah, you ha- you have to kind of be cumulative. Yeah, you, ha- you have to be like, okay, I am signing on for X amount of time. Yeah. Because what makes 2000 Day really work is not an individual issue. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's it's the experience of the individual series coming right. and going. Yeah. And the way that they are structured and the way that they run together. And also, I think everyone who's been with 2080 and hasn't had the down period mm-hmm. you know the time where you're like it's just not as good as it used to be right right i think that's part of the experience as well i think part of the experience of 2080 is genuinely disappointment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and getting over the disappointment and realizing that it's you know you're not into what's happening now but that doesn't mean that it's lost it it just means you're not into what's happening now and if you just stick around for a couple of issues, well, it, you're probably going to get something back. Yeah, 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 exactly. Although I, I really am impressed at reading uh, the 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 article that, was it Laura Snedden wrote over on The Beat about... Oh, um, the, the Zenith? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, about yeah. Zenith and the the other cases of people who didn't, essentially who didn't have contracts, um, who then mm-hmm. pursued their cases with it. And I don't remember... Do you remember the name of the the female writer who had Hillary Robinson? Thank you. And was it something Astro Circus or what was it? Circus? She had Zippy Couriers and Kronos Carnival and right Kronos Carnival. Oh, Medivac three one eight. I might mm-hmm. get the number wrong on that last one. I remember I was reading during all those times. I really liked Zippy Couriers. Oh, see, okay, which is great because what was fascinating to me was listening to people in the comments threads talk basically it was great it was actually like listening to people talk about you know my grandparents talk about the depression because everyone was like ah her work was so terrible and it's like to be fair it was nothing worse than anything else in 2000 ad at that time which is was the absolute nadir you know and it really was i was like wow like listening to people complain about this vast four-year stretch where everything had fallen apart and just the fact that everyone's like yes michael fleischer was there and i'm like okay that's that's some sort of cue right there you know because oh my michael fleischer's 2000 period is spectacular <laughs> spectacular it, it's nothing nothing proved that 2008 was going through a bad patch that when you have a michael fleischer strip in here See, michael fleischer is the guy I'm pretty sure it was Michael Fleischer who wrote a strip where, because he just wasn't thinking about, you know, anything. He right. was literally just turning out pages. Yeah. Um, he wrote a strip where someone fired a gun in a spaceship and it blew out a window and everyone was fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, see, I, 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 I'm, I'm so, and I mean, I'm so intrigued by Michael Fleischer, I think, in a way, because he's sort of, 
you know, I mean, that dude's kind of like the Forrest Gump of comics. Like, for a number of people who who have already hold claim to that style, that title, maybe you know, like, if you think about like, maybe he's more like the Zelig. I guess. You know what I mean? Like, Stan Lee's the Forrest Gump of comics, but, like, Michael Fleischer is the Zelig. Like, he's everywhere, you know? I mean, he's, like, he's fucking suing Gary Groth and Harlan Ellison. You know, that's Michael Fleischer. He's writing the dialogue for Shade the Changing Man. He's, like, doing the Spectre during one of his, you know, his, his most batshit insane uh, eras with, and that's a, precisely the term that I think got Harlan Ellison and Gary Groth sued, so Michael Fleischer, yeah, if you're was. not listening no, to not this... Bu- was, it, was it not Bugfuck Crazy? Oh, you're right. I think it was Bugfuck Crazy as opposed to batshit insane. Well, what a relief. I'm perfectly <laughs> safe from legal counteraction now. Phew. Uh, I, you know, he was, he wrote these encyclopedias of the Golden Age heroes. He's Working on 2000 AD, he wrote fucking Ghost Rider in the 80s when Johnny Blaze is a hobo, which I fucking adore because because they are these weird fucked up variants of. Oh, oh Jeff, you have to search out his 2000 AD work. Then it's appalling. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's not just bad; it's actually appalling. And apparently, he wrote so quickly that they fired him, and they had a backlog that lasted them years. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, and I believe that. I believe that. I mean, the thing that's he's, interesting... He's, he was around for a while. Have you, you've read Thrill Power Overload, haven't you? No, I haven't. And before you'd mentioned it, and it was kind of like, oh, I'm dying to read it, and now I'm like, fucking shit. It's impossible to find for less than a hojillion dollars, you know? Like, honestly, as far as I can tell... Order it, order it on Amazon from the UK. Like, there's a paperback version in the UK. Is there? I thought it was yeah. out of print. Maybe I'm I wrong mean, on that. Actually, maybe maybe it is now. I hang on. I'm good. Go and search. Yeah, go and search. Maybe maybe I'm. <laughs> yeah, go and search. Say I had my yeah, little Sinatra yeah, moment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, go ahead, you baby. Ring a ding ding. Talking about that. Yes. You're following Jim Steranko on Twitter, right? Oh my God, that is one of the topics we should talk about. Jim Steranko is the reason to follow Twitter. I honestly yeah, feel in like the last two weeks. What's that? Maybe I can. I can't hear you, Jeff. Is what I was going to say. Oh, but but now you can. Yeah, now I can. Let's you know, let's uh, let's uh, do a call back because you're you're fading in uh, now much more right now. Oh shit. Okay, great. Um, do you want to email me and then I'll call you and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera? No, let's just hang up and then call back. Okay, I'll talk to you in a second. I will re okay. FaceTime you. Okay. We're back. Yes, Jim Steranko on Twitter is the reason to follow Twitter, uh, Graham. Is... It's, it's astounding, isn't it? I've now taken to just reading Jim Steranko's tweets to Kate. <laughs> like, I just, I, just, I just find the beginning of one of his stories. Oh, so and I just, I just read Because his stories are amazing. It is fantastic. <laughs> you know what I love, though? Jim Steranko on Twitter is so great. And it's also, he just, he's so great because he is not tweeting. Mm-hmm. 
Because he would just like cut sentences up. He doesn't give a fuck about 140 characters. He's like, I'm not going to shorten myself. I'm just going to do however many tweets this takes. Yeah, but you know what? He actually, I think, pieces himself really well for the tweet. He'll frequently, most of the time, he'll have like complete thought, complete thought, complete thought, first part of the story, dot, dot, dot. I mean, I, I honestly think that he's one of the few dudes who might be using Twitter as a storytelling medium, like, correctly. I mean, there's so many things that are great about Storanko on Twitter. Um, I love the fact that Ian Brill said that someone should, like, do, like, an adaptation of his live tweets as read by uh, Robert Evans. And Storanko (laughs) actually was like, I've met Robert Evans and we hang out together at his mansion in West Hollywood. You know, it was like, oh my god, like... I, I love the fact that people will ta- say things to him and then he will say things back. Like, it's like the most... It's like Twitter is Starenko-Con for the last two it, weeks. It, it is just amazing, isn't it? I it's, mean, it, it, it's been so, so great. And his stories... People, if you're not on Twitter and you're... Or if you are on Twitter and you're not following Jim Starenko, you owe it to yourself to get on there just to read the story about Bob Kane. Oh yeah, that is the best story ever. He's uh I'm sure everyone who listens to us is, who is on Twitter is already following him, but if not, it's the at sign and I am Starenko. All no spaces or underscores Which or anything. It's just I mean my favorite like so I was reading his tweets to Kate. Mm-hmm. And Kate was it's stunned at the tweets. Yeah. And then there was the part where someone was like, not only does he draw better than me, does he look better than me, it's something like, you know, he's much fitter than me. Uh, what about some life tips, Jim? And he was like, hey, Pally, you're never going to beat me. Just be yourself. You're going to be the only one you can be. And I was like, that is the greatest thing. No, exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I one of the highlights of being at New York Comic Con several years ago, at least as far as from a pro aspect, there was a lot of it that was awesome in terms of, like seeing people that I, you know, had wanted to meet forever, like, hey, Tim Callahan or Sean Witzke, but seeing fucking Jim Steranko in person and he was, I approached him and I think I bought, I actually, is this History of Comics, the one that I have on my shelf, is this the one that I bought and was signed by him? Yeah, it oh is. My God. Yeah, I've got a two Jeff Jim Steranko, the, the second volume of the Steranko History of Comics. Um, and I was like, you know, <laughs> I, I said, Mr. Stranko, I just want to tell you, I read the history, Stranko history of comics, like both volumes every day for like two years back in fifth grade. And he said to me, like, and no pause. He's like, you should read them every day now, Jeff. And you should tell everyone in the auditorium that you're doing so. And I'm like, flawless like you know and yet it was clearly just kind of a like smiley I'm just joshing with you kind of thing like you know it it was he is fucking awesome like seriously whether it's yeah yeah, what'd you say? Sorry, didn't mean to cut uh, you off. Jim Stranko, we we all like we have someone new to aspire to. It is kind of amazing. I did love the part where there was one point Stranko's in like mid story in like my Twitter stream, and I'm like looking through it, and there's something like Tom Spurgeon says something like it's kind of surprising that like there's so you know so much emphasis on TV shows as opposed to movies at this year's San Diego Comic Con, and like two seconds later, like Jeff Parker tweets like, "Shut up, Tom Stranko is talking." <laughs> In all caps. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's just it's amazing. Yeah, people, everyone, not following Jim Sarang's Twitter, you owe it to yourself. It is the greatest thing. Yeah. One day, 
when uh, Jeff and I have absolutely nothing to say, Jeff will just read oh, Jim Strangos tweets, and that might be the greatest podcast that's ever as happened. Frank Sinatra or as Richard Nixon or I could alternate or as Alan Moore I don't know you know the other thing is is like Stranko admittedly the guy's had an, a pretty impressive life but I was like I haven't done shit with my life you know what I mean like there's oh no it's, it's amazing when you're reading the stories and he's like so then I decided to just counterfeit some money to buy my girlfriend a fur coat that Christmas because I only had two nickels <laughs> you, you really are like I have done life wrong exactly <laughs> like if that were me I'd be like that's such a shame i'll try and get her something lovely anyway and he's like i'm just gonna counterfeit myself 150 bucks <laughs> and then he's like i came at 164 so i had enough to get her a nice meal afterwards <laughs> it was so amazing <laughs> yeah i mean stuff like that his whole like meeting orson wells at this magician's group with like walter gibson and stuff and like trumping him in like magic tricks i was like you know, it's like part of me is like, even if those, if the part of him, like, you know, stunning Wells and getting a standing ovation from the rest of the group isn't true, I'm pretty sure he was in that fucking room with Orson Wells, you know? And it's like, even the scenes where he, like, like he talks about befriending Jerry Siegel when he's like, when Siegel's like emptying the waste bins at like Marvel, I'm like, Holy, like I believe it. Like it really does have that moment of like, man, I just, I really, yeah. It's I need to start learning how to um, counterfeit money and, uh, you know, befriend washed up people and tell stories about dogs. Oh my God, the story about the dog oh, just God, killed yeah, me. Yeah, the story about the dog. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I've said in the past, like stories about dogs completely get me, no matter what. Like happy, sad stories about dogs doesn't matter. I'm going to end up an emotional wreck. Yeah. That story, Jeff. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and I mean, and that's the thing. He just, it's, I don't know, it's its amazing. Steranko on Twitter is probably, is the best, most positive piece of comics news that you and I could talk about uh, on this podcast. Oh, come on, there's got to be something that's been good for her, isn't there, right? Oh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> there was Image Expo. Did you go to Image Expo? I, I didn't go to Image Expo. It's so ironic. It's like there's only one you know there's two days during the week that I work and they actually held it like on a Tuesday and I was like well I'm I'm not really taking the time off for this so sort of wish that I had it also Image Expo seems kind of weird and I don't mean that in like it's just an odd thing to me like it sort of strangely smacks of tax write-off or something you know it's like hey we're getting together down in moscone south central west or whatever it was yerba buena center's like annex museum and for 15 bucks you guys can stand you know next to us as we stand next to the water cooler and the broom closet and we will well, all I, sweat i mean it really reminds me of morrison con which, mm-hmm. you know, makes sense, because I think Ron put both of them together. Mm-hmm. But it, it is that level of, you know, we're super exclusive. And right. if you pay the right amount of money, you can be super exclusive, too. Yeah, which, which I have. On the one with. hand, but on the one hand, that's every comic convention. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. But on the other hand, when you make it so niche, mm-hmm. there's something weirdly off-putting about that. There's something weirdly... Uh, insular even more than a Comic-Con normally is. Yeah. I mean... Uh, and I, I think that's what put, what really, like, makes me go, I don't know how I feel about this. So that... Well, I mean, if I didn't sign on for fucking MorrisonCon... Like, right, if exactly. Any, if any convention is, is made especially for me. Mm-hmm. Like, really, uh, what what else are you going to do? 
It's Graham McMillan Con, you know? <laughs> that like, would be great. Scheduled guest, Jeff Lester. Graham <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even show up. <laughs> and you'll be like, I remember that time I met Graham. <laughs> oh, that would be great. I'm going to schedule this shit now. I'm calling Ron. Here we here we go. I've got the pitch of the century for you. Um, it'd be great. Because it'll actually be a huge success because I'll actually manage to get Jim Stranko to show up for it, too. <laughs> exactly. And he'll be like, I've never met this guy, but let me tell you, Look. there was a time that I was locked in a room and all I had to get myself out was a playing card. And you're like, I am sitting down and I'm staying here for the next hour. I don't care what the end of the story is. Like, that's enough and that man, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't know, you know, I um I guess it's not so much I mean, part of it's the insularity. I think it's just more uh to me a matter of effect effectiveness, if that sounds crazy. Like when you have a con you have it sort of spread out. It can it can serve different masters, if you know what I mean. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's like there's something for the fan, there's something for a retailer, there's something for a fellow professional, you know, there's all those reasons to be there, and it's sort of, by making it so diffuse, everyone can sort of do their own thing, but when it's jammed down to like, I don't know, six hours with like a break for lunch, um, and there's basically a room and a half in an after party, it just, to me, ends up feeling like I don't see how anyone could necessarily be served by that. And, and maybe there were. It's not like a lot of people were walking out oh, of... I, I, I think, I think Image, uh, Image Expo is a big hit. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting. But And I think that that's because of... How do I put it? I think... I honestly think that it seemed... When it seems most attractive to me is when it seems like almost like a um, the kind of thing that NASCAR does all the time, or like I guess they they do in uh, Nashville where they just have like fan appreciation day kind of, and you know the idea that a bunch of people are able to get together and go see these people, you know, and get their books signed and hear about what's coming up. I mean, that's kind of what book signings are supposed to be like. You know what I mean? Back yeah for people who have them, I suppose. So, I mean, just the fact that, that Robert Kirkman sat there for whatever it was, like two or three hours, and signed people's autographs and talked to them. I mean, it helps that there was only maybe 50 people there or something, um, from what I've heard, but it, at least at the after party by a certain point sort of thing. But I think that's... Um, I think there's something potentially great to it. It just seems very strangely both neither fish nor fowl, and also kind of a, I'm I'm not really eager to to pick up the tab for you guys to have your creative summit. You know what I mean? Like if Marvel had its creative summit or something like that, and they invited people to like come and you know do a quasi con with them, where they spent half the time you know moving, cycling in and out of their meeting rooms and basically went down and talked to the crowd and stuff like that. I'm sure you'd have a ton of people, but it strikes me as um it just strikes me as hinky, I guess. I, I wonder if we're gonna see more of it. I would think so. I would think that Yeah, I I think Image has proven that it's a workable model. Yeah. And I think if I think if Comic Con goes the way that it's probably going to go this year, which mm-hmm. is the way it's been going the last year's, which is basically comic news does not get announced at the con. Yeah. Um, I would not like if I were a comic company. I'd be thinking, well, what if I haven't like a one-day event mm-hmm. two two weeks before Comic Con? 
Right. And that way I can dominate the news cycle. Yeah. Because yeah. it did. It did mm-hmm. really dominate the news cycle for a good couple of days. Yeah, it did. And I th- and, and that part I thought, yeah, I, I think that that's actually a really good way to do it. I'm just also, again, I'm sort of like, nah. but yeah, I think I think the, the potential for the microcon is huge, huge. I just, um, hmm, we'll see. And yet I still can't find anything good to say about it, Graham McMillan, because that is me. Um, hey, can I ask you, did you end up reading all of uh, Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four? Uh, no, I've not read the last collection. Oh, really? So, all the way up to, and then kind of off, huh? I, and I'll read the last collection when I remember to add it to my library list and read it, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't, at no point did I throw it across the room and discuss. I just haven't gone around to reading the last collection. Hmm, interesting. Because, well, okay, so here's another thing. Is, you and Kate do not watch Game of Thrones, do you? You don't. No, we do not. We actually watched the first episode and pretty much had a, huh, why are people interested in this? It's shit reaction. <laughs> well, I have to say, that was pretty much Edie's reaction to the first episode. We are now sort of worked our way into, I think we're like three episodes into season two. It's that great, like, watch two episodes wait two days for Netflix to get the disc, send us the next disc, watch two episodes, send it back. It's kind of, it's kind of tedious. It's a little bit like, um, you know, uh, getting getting your story by, like, telegraph or, I don't know, carrier pigeon or something. I knew that you guys weren't watching Game of Thrones on the one hand because I didn't really think it was your thing, but the other thing is, and I apologize for mentioning this to the listeners who do not know, but, like... We're like at episode nine, and do you remember how the the first episode opens? There's like the weird snow creaturey things, and everybody's all freaked out, and they talk about the White Walkers, who you know everyone believes are a myth that the wall has been erected to keep them out, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Episode eight or nine comes around, and I'm like, holy shit! Because they have a White Walker show up and do some shit. And I'm like, it's a snow zombie. I'm the most prescient human being alive. <laughs> Everyone else is fucking freaked out by snow zombies. And I, I, I pointed to Edie. I'm like, call Grandma Kate right now. Like, you know, like we have to talk to them. So, because everyone, and by everyone, I mean, like, my wife and Graham and Kate, have all mocked me for my fear of z- snow zombies. Basically, zombies in the snow being the most terrifying fucking thing ever. And everyone's like, Pfft. I mean, basically, it's two very sensible fears that I have. Zombies and snow um, combined to make snow zombies the most terrifying thing ever. In fact, Graham and Kate, in fact, the little snow zombie that you gave us sits by the couch and watched every goddamn episode of Game of Thrones with us, if such a thing could be possible in an inanimate object, cutesy, we don't have kids kind of way. And fucking snow zombies, man. So that's how I knew. I had that moment of like, call Graham and Kate, and then I'm like, oh, they haven't watched it. And I knew this would be like... We will also never watch it. So that you could oh, yeah, have called you well. Wild yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. What's well, kind of interesting, I'm, I'm so fascinated by... Like, like the Game of Thrones and TV show is the closest I'm ever going to get to, I think, really appreciating what I would call, for lack of a better term, uh, spreadsheet literature. You know what I mean? Like, I really... Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, the, I, I see the connection to Jonathan Hickman now. Ah, uh, yes, exactly. Well, and the uh, the 
extra bit was kind of like because as we got like eight or nine episodes in i'd read a little bit of martin stuff not a lot but i was like jesus christ this guy so i was reading his wikipedia thing he was a huge comics fan which of course i should have realized from the, the wild card series which i only read like three books in before i started losing them and having to buy new copies for brian Hibbs. um I was like, he's a huge comics fan, and it was a huge. He has a like a published um, letter in like Fantastic Four, like number thirty four or something like that. And I just had that moment of like, holy shit, Marvel, get off your ass and get George R. R. Martin to write Fantastic Four for you. That's got to be a gimme. And then I had that moment of like, oh wait, what if Jonathan Hickman already did that? So. I was hoping that you could maybe tell me. Uh, so, w- what do you think, Jonathan Hickman? You haven't read, you haven't seen Game of Thrones, so I guess never mind. But I guess I was gonna say that's a tough one. Having never seen Game of Thrones or read Game of Thrones, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> come on, Graham, commit, commit, yeah. come on. Uh, I'm gonna say not as much as Matt Fraction's Inhuman will. Oh man, I don't think so, man. I don't. You know, it's the funniest thing. Is it's like uh, no, babe, but you've seen that uh, Axel Alonso has compared the two, right? Uh, yes, to Game of Thrones, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, I was sitting there trying to come up with things that I could write that I could then compare to Game of Thrones, Graham. I, I just don't think... I see them making those comparisons. I do. I almost am more willing to believe it with Hickman than I am with Fraction, because Fraction, despite the fact that he spends a lot of time talking about process, I'm not sure... I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's an Excel spreadsheet kind of guy. You're not sure he has a process. I'm not. I'm not. I really am not. I really am not. He talks about it. I'm sure that, you know, the few meager comic book scripts that I I have actually written myself, there's a shit ton of process in a comic book script. Just like by definition, you know, it really is like it's like it's like uh, making a crossword, you know. Um, but that being said, like, there's obviously varying degrees of process that you can put into the story, the story story. You know what I mean? And there are dudes who seem pretty notoriously at some point, like, I got this. I'm seat of the pants. I'm Chris Claremont. Look at me. You know, um, and then there, are the, then there are dudes who clearly are like, yeah, if you look at the spreadsheet over here, it tells you by this point, you know, this city is supposed to have risen from the sea and yakita 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 and i just i don't get that vibe from fraction i really don't like there's too much of his stuff feels um slapdashy i guess i i don't know you know i mean like it gets by on its on its considerable I, I, charm and intelligence i yes i'm going to be much more generous i think it feels more organic Right. Well, and this is a good point, because you and I are at opposite ends of the organic form- formalist spectrum, I think, uh, a lot of yes. times. Yes. Um, I, I am much more of the, that's great that it's really smart, but it doesn't make me feel anything. And you're much more of the, I'm so glad it made me feel something, but have you seen how smart it is? I right. Feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that I think that's really close to it, which is why I think I should really we should take a few minutes uh, for me because I warned you in advance. I kind of want to talk about the boys now that I finally read the whole fucking thing. I'm yeah, I'm really curious as to what you think of the boys. So uh, the thing that's kind of interesting is for long term listeners, I think I read that first digital omnibus like what would you say it was, Graham, like a year ago, two years ago or something? No, it's a year. It's definitely a year. Okay, so they had the third one on sale. I had read, I want to say, the first two 
digital omnibuy, which covers like two-thirds of the story, everything minus Herogasm. So the last most recent sale, I ended up buying the three trade paperbacks and the last digital omnibus, and then realized that because I could barely remember where the storylines were, I've spent the last week, started at the beginning, read it all the way through to the end. Um, and it's, well, f- one thing, one thing is, is that I think that if HBO was smart, they would stop trying to adapt a preacher into an HBO TV show and they should go for the boys instead. Um, I think that, I think that the boys, weirdly enough, is much closer to Game of Thrones <laughs> or, um, you know, which Game of Thrones, what I ended up like it in what way? Uh, in the way that I feel that Ennis... Well, okay, first off, that there is a, a fucking ton of backstory into the boys. One of the things that was interesting getting through the digital omnibuses is is a few points for whatever reason they jammed in, like, articles, interviews with Garth Ennis from, like, The Beat or something like that, you know? Um or maybe and or CBR and he mentions at one point kind of like this is the first time like when I sat down to write this I knew that I was going to write 60 or 70 issues at a go so I really had the luxury of knowing that I was going to do that I sat down to craft a story that I felt would work across that length of of issues you know and it's something like 2,000 pages uh when all is said and done. So the reason why I think specifically HBO is that might might appeal to is is that the backstory is deep. It has flashbacks that go back, of course, all the way back to World War Two, but also to like the sixties. Um and characters backstories end up being much more important than you realize. There's also a certain amount of by the time that the boys starts, there's already been the first the boy you know, first gathering of the boys with Mallory that has already kind of fallen apart. And it's not until you are three quarters of the way through that you find that you meet Mallory, you find out who he is and you sort of find out why he's important to the narrative. Like, um if I'd been more on my game, Graham, what I would have done is read this entire thing and then compared it to Planetary, which I feel had a sort of quasi-similar format that, uh, because I never finished reading it, I don't know if it paid off. I'm willing to bet that it really didn't. Um, but the other thing that I find fascinating for me is is that... Um, do you remember when we were talking about the element of sexual repulsion, I suppose, yes. in, in the work? Yes, I do. Um, one of the things that struck me is, is you were, and I thought this was a great point at the time, was you were like, hey, remember, you know, I'd be really curious to see what you think of by Mother Milk's origin, you know, as far as, as, uh, sexual repulsion and, and, um, uh, I don't know, I guess that's basically it, disgust goes. And I'm like, okay. And I read it and it, maybe part of it was the, you prepping me for it. I was like... It was weird, but the weird part was, even despite you have a follow-up scene with Mother's Milk and a prostitute, I'm like, I didn't feel necessarily like the point was weirdly a sexual one. Um, 
In fact, do you remember the point where, like, uh, the Frenchman decides to help with the female's therapy? He buys her an entire box of back issues of 2000 AD? I, I totally do not. So he he buys all of 2000 AD for her so that as, as a way to basically um, sort of give her a good healthy outlet for her her violent desires and things and it's interesting it's just a one little drop in there but it comes not far after the mother's milk origin sequence in fact it it might be in it and that was the part where i sort of started to think like that ennis was and forgive me if this is a incredibly obvious and b for people who don't want all of the boys spoiled i'm pretty much going to be spoiling it at the very least thematically but also talking about actual plot stuff toward the end um that was the point where particularly with the mother's milk thing i was like is are the are the boys are literally boys at that point you know what i mean like there's kind of this weird like ennis i and i wasn't i honestly was not sure this is why i knew i had to read the last third of it is is like is ennis really saying that all of these characters that are our heroes are themselves adolescents, you know? And I don't know if you remember it, but basically from the next to last issue, uh, Butcher basically says, like, men, men need women. Men by themselves are just boys, you know? And the thing that really blew my mind about the boys, and I don't know if you would necessarily agree it, with it but the two or three things that bothered me the most about the work and frankly about Garth Ennis's work in general I feel like by the end of the boys he has specifically addressed them like for me the Butcher Baker miniseries which I just kind of figured would be I don't know you know basically more stuff of uh, butcher being like a badass in the army, and you also find out the whole story of him getting married and how he loses his wife and all that stuff. All of that's in there, but it is a very explicitly through you know the quasi horriest of cliches by having butcher talk to his dead father who was a bully and specifically addresses him as a bully. And then goes on to talk about the ways in which he is exactly like him, the ways in which he's not like him, the what's like sort of the part that that what's important, you know. And one of the things that I really liked about the boys is by the time that you get to the end of it, minus the last issue that I'm very iffy on, the epilogue issue, but up until that point, by the time you get to the end of it, I think it is such a strong defining and clarifying statement of what Ennis believes and who he is while expressing it through the concept of the story and also exp- like acknowledging and expanding on people's criticisms of who what his work is that I was really really fucking impressed with it and it may just be me as you know again as a formalist but there were various parts where in, especially in that second omnibus, I'm like, I'm wondering if, like, is this what he's going for? And the way that he addresses those in the final volume, the digital volume, so like the last two or three trades where the payoffs start happening, it's very explicit 
kind of what he's saying about what's important and why. And much more clearly than I feel like Preacher was, you know. So, I, it's tough. Are, are you saying are you saying you prefer to Preacher? Well, I would have to reread Preacher, but I would have to say uh, I'm strongly inclined to think so. I mean, Preacher was the first work by him that I read, um, and I think the difference is the first 20 issues of Preacher for me are fantastic, and the first 20 issues of The Boys are quasi-terrible, you know? And But the switch to me, like, I, I, at the risk of revealing huge spoilers for both... Um, the final battles between uh, at, at the end of Preacher and the boys basically boil down to uh, a fight between friends. But I feel by the end of the boys, not only has that fight been coming for a long time, it could not be more clear why it is unavoidable and why it's happening. And I guess how it's pertinent, not just to the world, but also to people and who we are as people. And as a preacher, it was always kind of a, like, really? Like, I always felt like um, Cassidy ended up being such a straw man villain by the end of Preacher that it 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 had it had no weight for me, you know? Like... No, I, I, I totally see what you're saying. I, I, I think by the end of Preacher, there really was a sense of, so this is the way the story is going. Whereas, at least in The Boys, you are... I, I At least I had picked a side. Mm-hmm. If yeah. that makes sense. You know, you're you're like, okay, so... And I don't want to say a name, because I don't want to be like, and that, that, this happens, and this happens. Oh, that's the end, guys. Yeah. But, I like, I was very... Like, I felt... Like you said, that the, the confrontation is inevitable. Yes. And also, the confrontation is... I don't want to say just, but mm-hmm. I kind of do want to say just. Like, there is, there is a... There's a real reason for it happening beyond because the story needs a fight to finish it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or or at larger principle, yeah, then, like, yeah, you, you know, you uh, you decided that you wanted my girlfriend so badly you fucked me over, you know? It's, it's, it's at a very, very high degree, and yet it still manages to, I felt, give me a great deal of sympathy for each side, despite the fact that, in a way, they're almost more extreme than they were in Preacher. So... So in that sense, like it's kind of like he took the ending of Preacher and rewrote it and made it much better for me, you know, in that sense. And all along the way, there's lots of payoffs of like, how did Monkey get his name? Like even little dumb things, and some of them are very dumb, but there's a, there's a lot of dotting of the I's and crossing of the T's throughout um, to the point where it just feels... And, and and but also still feels like how do I put it like with maybe a few quibbling things that I have towards the end I really feel that it's it got there in a way that was clearly planned and yet did not feel forced and first drafty it it had it the tone was kind of consistent with the enormous caveat of the sex switcheroo that happens maybe halfway through the book. Oh, that's the other thing, I think, is is that the first half of the book piles on the sexual disgust, where I'm like, okay, this is very much Ennis's sexual disgust. But without it, it becomes difficult for the 
the con- the con- I don't know if I should give away all the the romantic conflict I should say to have kind of any weight whatsoever. I'm not sure that it entirely works anyway, but I at least felt like there was one half of a reason, you know, or at least there was a good justification for why we had the stuff that we had, you know. Um I don't know. I there was a lot that by the end of it I was really fucking impressed with the boys and I kind of feel like it's almost that like just about everybody kind of gave up on reading it. I like I just don't feel like a lot of people were talking about it by the end, which makes sense for me, but I really there's a way now in which I'm Mr. like holy crap, like I never have I wished that I could like loan, you know, the 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 irony is is that I never would have read this if I hadn't been able to get it digitally and the horror is I will never be able to loan it to anyone now to get them to read it you know what I mean because it's yeah. a really dicey investment it was really hard for me to be talking with Lauren Davis who I didn't realize was actually a surprisingly informed Garth Ennis reader and liked Preacher a lot more than I did for me to kind of be saying like yeah you should really read it you just have to like just don't give up for the first 20 to 27 issues you know yeah which is like don't give up for the first third yeah exactly you know, which that's is that's really that's really tough that's really really hard to say okay so the first third of this is shit yeah Exactly. But it honestly gets better. I mean, that's really rough. Yeah, and I don't, and and it it kind of is like that's I can't honestly, in good faith, sit here while I'm talking to you and whoever might be listening in and be like, "Hey, dudes, go out and get this." But there is a way in which I'm like, I think more people should read this. Like, I think this could end up being. I think there's also part of it for me to to change to make a sharp veer is also by the time you get to the end of the book a lot of the struggle that is going on is sort of how do you be a good person in a corrupt world? Well, how do you be a good person in a corrupt world and affect change, or can you affect change? Can you do anything? And I sort of feel like, unfortunately, the last four months of news from the United States government, and maybe the last year two years basically the this this half of the obama administration has been for me this kind of um feeling of frustrated impotence and i and i feel like that's so dovetailed so much neatly for me like what's going on with huey in in a lot of the book um you know, and and Ennis also grounds it in the personal and not just the political. But the idea of what can what can people do, you know, and even though I'm not necessarily sure that I buy Ennis's, um, you know, sort of pilfering of James Elroy, which is that history is made by bad men. Uh, I kind of am more. I'm. It it hit me at a, a point where it feels more relevant to me now than even I think if I had finished reading the book when it wrapped up, you know. Mm-hmm. So, dude, I I was really impressed with. It. So in, in any way, in part, I definitely think that there were a lot more justifications for why Ennis is doing what he's doing, and and I do think that Butcher as character ends up being pretty impressive all the way around in terms of being someone that I ended up being 
both repelled by and yet continuing to admire, I guess, in a way that um, a lot of time felt forced for me for Ennis, for other Ennis stuff. So, the end. So what you're, what you're basically saying is people should really at least investigate the latter boys. Yeah, I think Maybe so. Maybe from their library. Like, should 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 take a look at it, especially if you're an Ennis fan. Well, see, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It. I would I would say that if you are an Ennis fan, go like hit the libraries. Hope they have them all, uh, and and just keep going. It's kind of a shame though. Toward the end, um, I had this weird. I had weird sympathetic feelings that Derek Robertson, like the boys, ends up finishing up more or less without him. You know. Yes. Yeah, he 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 disappears. I feel like he disappears like midway through. Am he I does. Yeah, yeah. No. 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 You're absolutely right. He's on for like the first twenty issues or so, with maybe an issue or fill in or two, um, and then he starts disappearing for like long stretches, and then the last, I don't want to say quarter, you know, but it's like he's there for all of the Butcher Baker miniseries, which is great, and his covers have a lot of impact. But by the end, especially, um, I wasn't so crazy with Joel McRae's work on this. Um, no, John John McRae. John is McRae, not thank a, you. John McRae is not uh, the same type of artist at all, I and mean, his stuff like really weirdly sticks out. Yeah, I thought Russ Braun did a great job. And that's what I was going to say, Russ Braun. Holy shit! I don't know what the guy's doing, but he should get shitloads more work. I was so impressed with his ability because he really did was able to give you. A Derek Robertson feel, but frankly, I, in some cases, with more um, solid storytelling, and that's yes, yes, you know, and that's not to actually diss Robertson because I like Derek Robertson's work a lot, but a lot of it really is in world and character building, I think, than it is in in the actual nuts and bolts storytelling. So, so I definitely think it's possible that the last third of it of the boys ends up reading leaner and meaner and better than it might have if if Derek had stayed on all the way through. Even though I say that and I think that that Butcher Baker has some amazingly well done moments and they're they're all it's you know it's Robertson right there. So um but Braun is amazing. Do you know what else he's done or is doing or should do cuz I want to say that he great. did some of um the fable spin of Jack of Fables. I I yeah. might be misremembering. I think Jesus. he did some of that. But um, he's he's. I mean, he's great. He to me, he's actually much stronger than Derek Robertson. I uh, yeah. I, think, I think there's so much more subtlety to his work. As oh well. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, think yeah. His character acting is really superior. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I I remember even when I wasn't enjoying reading the book, mm-hmm. I'd always look through and see what Ron was doing. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. I mean, he is seriously, seriously like I. And it's funny because, of course, now that I'm reading 2000 AD, I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's done stuff for 2000 AD because it's got that sort of very substantial, I you know. I he's American, but it could be wrong. I, it could be. Uh, all I'm saying is, is like people find him down, get work for him. He he was great. And yeah, it's interesting. I was surprised by how much of it was. There's something about the 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 actual, like, however Robertson ends up drawing and getting inked, like, I just sort of like 
Like, I just like the look of his work. But, like, reading it all, as especially as I was hitting it all as a go, I was like, huh, there, you know, there's bits of his storytelling that falls apart. It's even interesting to me that I almost feel like his characters don't look like the same character from different angles in a way that I find distracting, you know, like... Oh, I, I, I find Robertson a really, really inconsistent artist. Yeah, it's strange. I, 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 find, I find his work really hard to read. Now, I always have. I've always... Oh, been, really? I, He's he's a big problem for me with Transmetropolitan. Oh, interesting. I, I, I he's a he's a real barrier for me with Transmetropolitan. I I find between that and like Ennis because it's still relatively early, Ellis. Mm-hmm. I I I find like him kind of gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I find there's a lot of reliance on shtick and like the combination too. I just can't get through Transmetropolitan. I've tried like four or five times. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I actually, to me, I was more interested in the Warren Ellis, much more interested in the Warren Ellis at the beginning of Transmetropolitan than the Warren Ellis that emerges at the end of Transmetropolitan. Um, there's a point halfway through, and I think it might just be because I, I feel like halfway through, I get his number, you know, and I think that's, you know, Ellis is trying to, the first half of Transmet, he's throwing a lot of shit at the wall to kind of see what sticks. And then once he's kind of like, ah, Hunter like, S. Thompson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of like, eh, I know how this works. I'm just going to go for this longer run. And I really liked Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72. And I get the sense a lot of people haven't read it, so I'm going to run with it, you know? And And it just didn't, it just didn't, but also by the end of that, by the tone of it, there's there's much more. You know, by the, the end of it, he's Warren Ellis. You know what I mean? He is the Warren Ellis of the WEF. He's got his Stalin nickname. He's it's all, it's all in place there. And at the beginning he of it, he finds himself new shtick. Well, that's it. He's he's figured out how to apply the shtick to his personality, and how to make that work. Um, you know, I was. It's a shame that we, in a way, we got derailed by this because. You were talking about Dan Braun um, and just how great he is, and I, I thought that it would be a really good time to talk about uh, Chris Burnham on Batman Incorporated number 12. Cause... Oh, I'm really curious about this because I found that book really uh, disappointing. I found that book incredibly disappointing. The I swear, the only thing that I liked about it was Batman is in his super combat suit, and so he has fists at the end of his fists you know yes which was hilarious and i like the late like midway through the thing he's like and i can electrocute you through yeah wait. yeah i i i kind of thought it was a terrible book yeah it was bad it was so disappointing i was like Hold, what happened like i really it was amazing how much of a boner kill uh batman incorporated number 12 was but burnham's work especially with those those i was like Watching the way, because he always came up with great ways. Like he's got that great thing of like the the hand hitting the the puddle and electrifying it, and you see Batman's hand hovering there, or the way he punches, and it it's got that weird double fist connection thing. I was like, I want to see Chris Burnham draw Shade the Changing Man, you know, like Ditka Ditko era Shade the Changing Man, and just I think he could knock that shit out of the park. But I just. If he hadn't been drawing it, if it had been some other, like, they're like, hey, Philip Tan, you know, come on down, you know, I I would have been apoplectic like at how bad I, like, really kind of dodgy and second rate 
Batman Incorporated number 12 was. It, it felt very much like filler. It, it, you know what it really felt like? It felt like one of the closing issues of Action Comics. Mm. Mm-hmm. We were like, yeah, I feel like you're just like stretching. I feel like you're playing for time now, Grant. It felt really like that. There was no reason that was an issue. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of felt that way too. Um, although it's weird when those issues, like sometimes those issues work. You know what I mean? Like I, I was kind of shocked to uh, find, realize that I had never read all of JLA Tower of Babel. Um, and so I grabbed the trade, which is a really weird hodgepodge kind of trade for them to jam all the material in. And I don't know if you remember it, but... what What else is in there? Oh, well, they start off with uh, the Dan Curtis Johnson episode that I actually love that's kind of like a Silver Age update where the Atom brings a bunch of people into the into a person's body because they find uh, intelligent parasites in there that they're trying to convince them like basically to stop they're they're basically mining and drilling they've created industry and they're going to like kill the body if they keep like continuing to drill and stuff do you remember I've that? Never, I've never read that and that sounds awesome oh it's so good I think you would like it just for uh, the last I want to say the last two pages maybe the last Four pages. I don't remember. There's a there is a brilliant part there. Yeah, I guess it is. It's the last three pages. Take a little twist that, and just do a great thing with it. Anyway, then you kick into Tower of Babel. Uh, then there's like um, after Tower of but after that story, there's like a Mark Wade story in which the Teen Titans are like, hmm, nobody trusts Batman. Should we trust Robin? Then there's a weird like. John, you know, it's it's a John Astrander, Superman, Batman, the Green Bullet story, which is kind of like, hmm, did did you know Superman shoot this guy? Like, I'm like, what, what the hell? Weird collection is this? It's it's just the JLA trade. It's just the JLA That's Tower insane. of Babel trade. And then there's like a, a Christopher Priest story called Revelations with uh, Wonder Woman and Aquaman, where it's like they have to save this submarine. And Aquaman, like Wonder Woman's like, why don't you like me? And he's like, I don't like you because you don't take your royalty seriously and I think you're hot. You know? And it was like, what? It's not, I don't know why that had to be at the end of the the thing. But in the midst of all this, like, there's an entire issue of Tower of Babel where it's like everything has gone, you know, pear-shaped. And then there's basically a flashback issue to Talia being like, here's how I broke into the JLA and here's how I rigged all this stuff. And then there's like flashbacks to Batman being like, huh? Like it's, it's very pat. Like how does he know that Kyle Rayner's like worst nightmare is becoming blind? It's like, Hmm, let's show that scene or, huh? Let's have a scene. You know, it's just kind of, it was like, I was like, huh, this is weirdly expositionary. Like I thought it was just a little piece I was sort of like, why the hell did Wade write that? And the entire that entire issue is written by Dan Curtis Johnson. And I'm like, why is that sitting in the middle there? Is that just a weird... Like, and I want to say, I mean, who can tell with Howard Porter? I think the art was by Howard Porter, or maybe someone with a color form <laughs> sketch set in an Etch-A-Sketch, but I... Ugh, where is it? I, I can't even Porter find it. Howard Porter with these strangely plasticine people. You know, and then and then he gets the one shot where he's supposed to sh- you're supposed to show Superman with his skin off, and he can't figure it out. Like he's just like, 
I mean, part of it was also coloration thing, but they're like, okay, here's, you know, a classic Silver Age trope. Superman with no skin! And um, Howard Porter's like, ah, uh, you mean like, like I can show a vein on his neck or his wrist? Do you want... Do you want a skeleton? Is he like... Is he like... You're saying he's flexing all the time, right? No, no, no. I mean, you can see through his skin. And there is like, I... Through the... What? You know, so, yeah. It did not... That did... Oh, blame. It's by... It's by D. Curtis Johnson, and it's by Paolo Raimondi. And so it reads a lot like a very good on-point fill-in issue, but a fill-in issue in a weird way. I just... I couldn't understand it. Anyway, JLA, Tower of Babel weird trade. I feel like I was going to make another point on top of that. Do you remember? I guess we should start I, to... It's, it, Graham, we're almost... We're basically out of time, and it's a shame, because I so we, wanted we to are grill basically out of time. Yeah. Uh, grill me? Grill me on what? Man of Steel, evil Superman stories. I don't know. I had so many ideas. Oh, so yeah. We, ideas. Okay, we'll have to do that next week when I'm at, uh, I'm at Comic-Con. But hey, there's something I want to sell you, and listeners, but mostly you. <laughs> Um, I read the second Profit Collection, Brothers. Uh, yes. I totally get Profit now. I have no idea what it was about that second collection. But everything that didn't click for me before completely clicked for me with that second collection. To the point where I went back and read the first collection, and I was like, I totally get it. I understand. That's fantastic. Well, there is a little bit. Like, I finished the first trade, and I was like, I don't get it. Like, I still loved it. But people are like, Jeff, didn't you get it? It's really clear. And then the second trade, I think, does make it really clear. And then you're like, yeah. oh. And, yeah, I, it's awesome. Well, that's fantastic that you're... You're digging it. I, I'm, I'm, I really am. Because before I was like, I am just an idiot. Because everyone likes this. I really like Brandon Graham's other work. What is not working for me about profit? I just don't get it. And after reading this, I was like, okay, I get it now. I like it now. I have no idea what changed, but I'll, I'll say yes. I, I'm on board with finally recognizing my mistake, even if I don't know what that mistake. Was. <laughs> well, to be fair, I think that you like. Graham in when he's doing, I guess, warmer work, I suppose. I, I think I also like Graham when he's doing much uh, less emotionally obtuse work. Yes, right. And so I think that the supporting cast that really starts developing in that second arc makes the story way, 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 way more accessible in that sense. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that may not necessarily be it, but it is... But yeah, that stuff is good. I'm so glad that you you dig it. I I I finished that most recent issue. I think it was issue 46 or whatever, and I or 36. I don't even know which issue it was. And I'm like, I am going to be so sad when this ends, because <laughs> I just it's like a monthly book that I read every month that always it, that I always enjoy in this weird way that's sort of distinct from other comic books that I read. So, oh no. It's uh, I'm I'm so glad. Well, that's a that's a terrifying confession, Graham McMillan. Anything else before we we sign off? Do you think? Uh, yeah, I and I know you read these as well. Bandit and Batman sixty six this week I thought were spectacular. They made me so amazingly happy about comics. Yes, yeah. Well, I purchased those I mean, in the really... new Commandy reprint, and I was like, what a fantastic way to spend three dollars, you know. Yeah, really. I, I the fact that you know Batman Sixty Six, I'm absolutely loving. I think it's it's just so great, and it's my favorite use of that, like, uh, you know, thrill bent technology for want of a better way of putting it. Yes, they're like advancing, you know, 
tap to advance, but it doesn't always advance the panel. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm loving everything about Batman sixty six, and Bandit was charming as hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I was super pleased with Bandit. Um, both both of them. Although I think I would have some quibbling. Like there's some weird. Like I feel like they're just one issue away from nailing the way the the thrill bent progression should work as far as the sound effects and things go. But mm-hmm. it's it's really really enjoyable. I mean, it's really just honestly kind of a joy to read um, and look at because Jonathan Case's work is phenomenal. It, it, it's it's like he's one of those guys where I'm like, oh, I know he's done good work. I could not get into uh, Dear Monster or whatever it was called, um, but I, I uh, but here it's just it's just yeah. Those those were both super delights. Do you know how long Batman sixty six is going on? It's an ongoing series, Jeff. It is okay, great. Because originally there wasn't much announcement of it, and are they doing it like other? Uh, of DC's digital comics, where it's rotating teams, or do they have Parker yes. and Case on it? It was. It's it's all it's all Parker, but the oh, okay. rotating artists. Oh, okay, interesting. So that... like Parker, Parker finishes. Uh, sorry, not Parker. Um, Jonathan Case finishes, and then I think Ty Templeton takes over for a bit. Holy shit! That's a Ty, Ty um, Templeton drawing and like and Parker writing. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm all over that. That's phenomenal. And then I think I think Jonathan Case's back mm-hmm. uh i could i like i might be totally misremembering this mm-hmm. but i want to say that uh colin coover might be on board to draw an issue oh my god you're you're saying all the right names graham i'm going into a swing. no no yeah but i i i don't I, I totally could be wrong with that though i could be completely misremembering wow. um but yeah it's parker's on full-time parker parker is the writer oh that's and, terrific uh, other other people are coming in and out for artists Okay, well, that is great. That is great because I can't tell you how heartbroken I was. I think with with the Chris Samney Jeff Parker digital Superman book, where I was like, that was such an awesome first issue. I can't wait to see what they did next. And then the next issue was think, <laughs> then they didn't. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, oh no. So yeah. Um, no, this this one's uh, all Parker all the time. And I really hope it goes on for a long time because I, I don't know if Parker's having fun, but it definitely seems like he's having fun. It sure seems like it. Well, in a way that I feel like, just kind of in his wheelhouse, you know, in a way that he's going to be. A, I, it just, I don't know if it's actually that effortless, but it looks effortless for him, uh, in the best possible sense. So yeah, uh, it, it really does. Yeah. Yeah, that that was great. No, like I said, it's like I had Bat- I had Batman sixty six, Bandette and Commandy, and it. Oh, and of course I had a new issue of two thousand AD um, waiting for me. So it was like I don't know by like nine thirty a.m. I'm like I've got all these amazing comics, and then I read them, and I'm like, and they're all amazing. It was nice. It was kind of yeah. It was it was really nice yesterday. It's just to settle in with Bandit and Batman sixty six and be like, yeah, this is this is just great. Like yeah. the, these these two comics are just spectacular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was it, good times, my friend. Oh, and I also read the um the latest issue of the Private Eye, and oh yeah, which, yeah, which I really enjoyed as well. You know, and I, I, this is going. I apologize for sounding like a total douchebag to 
well, I only sound like a douchebag to you, Graham, but also to our listeners above and beyond my usual douchebagginess in that the, you know, latest version of Lion or whatever the fuck Mac calls its things that it does, the, their OS where they've got the full screen option. Yeah. Reading the private eye and full screen option on my laptop was the first time that I've read comics on a computer and had it be better than reading it on an iPad, you know? Um, it's I don't know if you've actually read it that way, but it I is... I totally know, but now I'm curious. You've got to do it. It's phenomenal because it just... It takes up the whole screen, the colors are vibrant, and then you just hit the up and... You hit the down arrow to move to the next page. And it's just great. It's full... It just has that... The colors are there and the immersiveness of it... I just I just adored it. Like, reading that issue, I was like, I cannot believe what a great experience this is. Um, so, uh, yeah, give it, a, give it a try. And for people out there who uh, also are kind of douchebaggy like me and you've got a MacBook Air with the latest OS, get yourselves copies of The Private Eye and read it that way. It is sumptuous. Strangely sumptuous. I think that's a, I think that's a good place to leave it, Jeff. Yes, yes. Okay. All right, well... Listeners, I figured next week would be a skip week, but apparently we have guilted Graham McMillan into giving us a live con update, which is yeah, that that could that could be hilarious or terrible, depending. I I definitely think we should try it. I just cannot vouch right now for my mental state. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that's totally cool. I mean, <laughs> Graham, you're going to be at San Diego. Who cares about your mental state? <laughs> but that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. Like you know. <laughs> else it might be super amusing for everyone yeah i think it's well it's gonna be super amusing for me actually the part that's gonna suck is i'm gonna like call you and you're gonna be like jeff and i'll be like and you're like hey and then you'll mention all of our friends that you've like just seen that i've exactly i'll be like i was just hanging out with david brothers and lauren and you'll be like oh fuck it and i'll be like i've got to go i've got to go and talk to joe sweet and you'll just be like i hate you yeah i just hate you i hate you yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, so listeners, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being patient with us during our our unexpected um, delay. And we will we will tune in for us. Look for us very shortly next week. Bye. Ta da! Lovely and musical as ever. Around.